I think some of it's changing our mindset around the definition of what a leader is, number one. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're and, right. And then, and then also like, you know, sometimes unless you give the person opportunity to talk about what they really want, sometimes we make assumptions about what people want. And if yeah. somebody says, I don't want to become a formal leader, they still deserve opportunities of professional development and growth. And you talked about stretch assignments could be one way to do that. Right. And so I think those, so one is understanding what leadership is, defining it, educating everyone, regardless of their position, what it is, and they all have the ability to, to display those and develop those competencies. But then also seeking, like looking at the system around how you can present opportunities for people to flex those leadership muscles in practice. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi, everyone. My name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast, where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today, I'm joined by Joanna Pagonis, founder and CEO of Synogap. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you, Heather, for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Um, to get us started, do you mind giving our listeners a little bit of background about yourself and about your company? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking. So I'll start a little bit about myself and my background. So I've been, I consider myself a learning and development expert as I've been in this field of work for a little over 20 years now. Time flies. Yeah, I know. We were just saying that apparently as you get older, time goes by faster. So time has been going by very fast recently. <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, 20 years of experience in, in learning and development. and I, although now I focus in working in corporate settings, I didn't start off there. I actually started working with families, youth, and children, right? Primarily, I was working actually with at-risk youth. And, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, and facilitate, facilitating anger management and anti-bullying programs in schools, but also kind of like group therapeutic uh, workshops as well for teens that had been mandated by the court to attend anger management. And that's what I thought my life was going to be, or I was going to do that. And I wanted to become a marriage family counselor. I was fascinated wow. with, with systems. And to me, right, and I remember learning that in school when I was doing my master's, a family is a system. And when one part of the system gets impacted, especially negatively, um, the rest of the system gets impacted as well. And so I realized that if I just work with children without, you know, looking at the environment that they live and function within, that that child or adolescent would have a hard time in really finding success in their life. And so I really wanted to work with the whole family as a system. So that's where I started and that's where I was headed. And then I left Montreal because I'm originally from there. And I moved to um, Alberta. I was 2006, Alberta was booming at the time. Yes, yes. <laughs> I definitely bought a house at the wrong time. <laughs> And um, yeah, and so it was booming and I, I wanted to change. I wanted to do something different. I wanted to live somewhere else. I came from a very uh, close-knit Greek community and I just really wanted to break myself free from that. 
and that mindset and way of being and just kind of go off on my own and, and experience life independently from my family and from that 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 system I was actually living in. And it was I loved it. And I was really excited that I had that opportunity because I got to continue kind of on my career tra trajectory and working with at-risk youth in the John Howard Society. And it was kind of funny. So I was living by there on my own and and I, it was not, it was a non-for-profit. I was always on a contract and there wasn't a lot of financial stability. And I thought, I don't know. I think I need something that's a little bit more stable. Still having in mind that I would be a marriage family counselor. And I ended up finding a job with the Calgary Police Service. They were looking for instructional designers. And when I, I never considered myself as an instructional designer. I thought myself as a, you know, somebody who was trained to become a therapist and a group facilitator, but never an instructional designer. So when I looked at what the job skills entailed or you know responsibilities i was like oh i can do this it's the same thing like i do but instead of working out at risk youth i'm going to be working with police officers and recruits primarily and then i thought you know the skills that i have working with at risk youth could really do you know do well working at developing recruit training right for police officers because i had that perspective and that knowledge that i could design and bring into uh, some of the programs and courses we were designing for them so that's how i kind of got into the corporate world and and then things shifted for me i loved it so much either that i decided to no longer pursue the dream of becoming a marriage family counselor i got really entrenched wow. into learning and development and what i realized was an organization is a system like the family system. And although, you know, maybe the players are a little bit different, many of the roles we do play are the same, right? You can see the parents could yep. be, yep. you know, the, the executive leaders of the organization. Uh, they right. have that responsibility to care and take, you know, uh, care for the people in the organization and so on and so forth. And so what I realized was we have to understand not only how an individual functions within an organization, but looking at the system of the organization as a whole and really understanding how to support learning through everyday work. And so I started to really shift from a training and development instructional designer to an organizational learning and development consultant. And, and really that's where the focus of my career uh, and my profession, my, my academic studies has been in is organization learning and development, but more specifically looking at how leaders learn, how we learn to become managers. So yeah. really that's kind of like the focus. And I ended up going back to do my PhD in 2018 because I felt like, mm, I don't know, I, I, I believe in evidence-based practices. And I think if I was to do a PhD, I could really devote more time an intentional effort into really uncovering and understanding how managers learn through through everyday work, not just through training. That's really interesting because um, the 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 analogy between a system like like a family when you were originally interested in the in the marriage and the you know the children at risk and what their role in the organization or the system being the family and how that has that ripple effect. It's a really interesting analogy to think about that from the perspective of an organization and an entity uh, has, has kind of the same roles, right? Like you still have the responsibility to train the next generation of workers and to have, you know, fulfill the vision of the family or the system and everybody has to be pulling in the same direction, right? So it's a very interesting analogy that I, I, I don't think is perfectly intuitive, but uh, it makes a lot of sense to be able to relate it back to that because I, I think everybody understands what a family is. Not everybody's family is the same. But everybody understands sort of intuitively that that concept. And so to to take that concept and take it to work probably gets you to a really different place faster than trying to say, you know, here's a 
here are the building blocks of a foundation or here are the foundation of an organization that might not be as intuitive as uh, something that, you know, everybody is, is part of in one way or another. I like how you said that. I'm going to use that in my training programs, I think, in my workshops. You're welcome. <laughs> another thing I was going to say, based on what you just said, is another thing that I think we can take from the family system, bring to the workplace is the relationships, the compassion, love, the whole concept of love. Right. And bringing right. that more into the workplace too, the heart, right? The concept of the heart. And when I saw that that was lacking, I think that's what propelled me to really just want to finally launch my business. Cause I was always consulting on the side while I was working right. for yep. the corporate world. And then after I completed my PhD, I stayed in the corporate world for a few more years. And I thought, this is it. This is the time for me to launch my business. I don't want to only do this for the company I work for. I want to do this for companies across Canada, across Alberta, across Canada. And I, so what I discovered through my PhD and this whole concept of the heart and integrating the heart uh, in or emotional intelligence uh, in, in our leadership approaches, right? And the way we do business is what I built my business on. So in 2020, left and launched Sinogap Solutions, and I've been doing I've been doing this ever since, and I love it. 2020 is, uh, you know, in, in hindsight, uh, probably not the year you would have chosen to, um, to to venture out on on your own. But um, no better time than that to to see how it's really going to work, right? Right. Oh, very well. That's a that's a silver lining uh, mindset for sure. <laughs> I want to I want to dive in just a little bit. Um, so I'm interested in what you what you talked about in your background around the the law enforcement and and sort of the the interesting approach of of the concept of the family and the really the caring and the nurturing and the the background in law enforcement working with law enforcement professionals or organizations around that law enforcement isn't typically that kind of like soft, touchy feely kind of um, approach, which which is more around the you know, the family, the nurturing and the, the, the counseling and dealing with that. Um, we often, I think maybe lay people often think about law enforcement as being very top down and, you know, we have all of the answers at the top and we're going to pass those down through the ranks. What is, so, so it's, it's very interesting to me that that was your background and that you have this, you know, this very caring and nurturing uh, business that you've developed. How receptive was that industry to, to those softer skills of learning and, and development? And what do you think led you from that background of that organization to really want to study the learning and, and development in an organization? Yeah, those are, those are very good questions. When I started working in law enforcement, when as a, as, as a civilian, right? So right, I had right, to understand, yeah. I had to learn a little bit of the culture because I, I, no one in my family was ever, was a police officer. I, I didn't interact with police officers unless it was the youth that I was working with that were being arrested and going to right. court. Like that was my experience with law enforcement. Right, right. And so there was a lot that I needed to learn. Um, and I, I learned so much. I really did develop a true respect and appreciation for what uh, police officers do every day. And when I started there in 2007, what they started to do was they started to bring in the concept of emotional intelligence and integrate that in recruit training. And what they also call the um, kind of like a field coaching program. So when you graduate from recruit training, you don't just you know go off on your own, but you're paired with a mentor uh, who's another constable who has more experience uh, to help you implement the things you've learned in recruit training in the field. And all of these mentor coaches or they called a field training officer or patrol training officer go through training themselves. 
to be equipped with the skills to mentor. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so they were integrating a lot of, so even in recruit training, they started to introduce what emotional intelligence was and in the field training officer programs as well. So that was really my first exposure to understanding what emotional intelligence was, was when I started working there. And so in many ways, they introduced that to me. I didn't even introduce it to them. They introduced it to me. So I learned it through working law enforcement. Now I realized that uh, some of the concepts they were teaching, I, I taught to those at, at risk youth that I was working with. I just never called it emotional intelligence. Huh, interesting, interesting. So the application of the same concepts in different fields, using their lingo and their, you know, their culture uh, is, is transferable or at least is applicable but you just have to know how to how to communicate it to the to the right people in the right setting. Yes, right. So it was about now how do you take the, those concepts and apply it to policing? And the truth is, I mean, there's a lot of people tend to use the term sometimes paramilitary organization, right? Make reference right. to policing as being a paramilitary organization. But right. even when you look at the military and some of the things that they've done around developing leadership, like I mean, they have like the, one of the best leadership programs that I know of. Right. And yeah. one of the things that they talk really openly about is that concept of love and loving your fellow, um, you know, uh, what do you, uh, I know the terminology in law enforcement, not so much in, in military, right? But the guy or the gal or the, the person that's, you know, fighting next to you, uh, you know, right. being there for them and loving them and wanting to protect them and support them and, and having that sense of camaraderie, right? Is something that also exists in law enforcement. But there were some challenges because it is very top down and very hierarchical and command and control, very like chain of command that you have to follow, which can be a little challenging at times. Right. You know, some of the things that I've seen law enforcement organizations doing now are really, you know, ahead of their time and, and really encouraging and exciting. Like one law enforcement organization I was working with created a recruit mentoring program because they want to increase the numbers of underrepresented members from underrepresented populations. They want to increase the yeah. diversity, right, of yeah. their demographics. And they understood that there were a lot of people come from underrepresented populations, don't necessarily see themselves as police officers or know what the steps are to take to become one. And so they created right. a recruit mentoring program where police officers would be paired with candidates who wanted to become police officers or thinking about it to help them along the process. And so some of these things that police officers are doing really incorporate, you know, that heart, that emotional intelligence um, approach to the way that they do business. But I still think there's some work to be done because although they're making a lot of efforts to increase that diversity, you still then have to think about, well, how are you going to create that sense of belonging after somebody's been hired? Right. And so right, right. focusing it on in recruit training and um, the um, officer peer like mentoring uh, programs that they have are great. But where I still don't see it as much as I'd like to is beyond that. Right. And so uh, leadership development programs. Yeah, I feel I think we could do a bit of a better job integrating that concept of emotional intelligence in the sergeant and the staff sergeant and even for the civilians across law enforcement organizations. It's happening, but I'd like to see it happen a little bit more. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Do you can you give any examples or any, you know, anecdotal like I'm sure it's not very, very precise, but and that's OK. Any anecdotal uh, reports about 
the differences of organizations, those that, that embrace the emotional intelligence or that have trained for the emotional intelligence versus those that haven't really, maybe, maybe they have some of it, but they haven't been very deliberate about thinking, thinking through the importance of that. Is it noticeable when you come in in your role as a consultant? Is it noticeable to you, the organizations that kind of have it and the ones that that don't? And and how does that play out in their in their day to day? And that might not be that might not be a very easy question to answer, but it's interesting, I think, to to think about. Right. It's yeah. I've never actually thought of that question, so I have to give some thought to it. But sure, no problem. The initial thoughts that went through my mind is. Um, it's not uncommon for me to go into an organization and see, because I always like to do a bit of a needs analysis. Maybe right. I'll start there. Yeah, yeah. Because I need to understand, you know, and develop an appreciation and respect for the culture of that organization. What are they doing well and what they're not doing well? And the companies that I've worked with and for, um, they all have their strengths and they all have their areas of growth. But yeah, one of, of the course. common things that I do see is, a discrepancy between what leaders see through their own self-assessments of their leadership competencies and what the employees are actually experiencing. So it's not interesting. Uncommon. Yeah, it's not uncommon yeah. that a supervisor may say, I give regular feedback. I make sure that I'm articulating my expectations. And this has been not just in one industry, but in different industri industries that I've worked in, like law enforcement, the safety industry, uh, education. So like across different industries and, and sectors too, private and public. Um, and so you, you talk to the leaders and they have an impression of how they present themselves and, and their leadership skills and abilities. And when you talk to the frontline staff, there's, there's definitely a discrepancy, you know, leaders will yeah. think I give regular yeah. feedback. And then when you ask the employees are like the last, I don't know when was the last time my supervisor actually gave me any feedback. I think, I think we're all primed to, you know, to overvalue or over, you know, gloss over the things that we think that we do really well. Um, and often the reception that other people have to, to, to something that you present might be completely different. And I think, you know, that goes really to the comment around emotional intelligence, the people who have have been trained to, to have a more emotional, intelligent type of response are more attuned with how they are perceived. So it's one thing for me to deliver a message and I hope that somebody receives it, but it's also another thing for me to be aware of how that message actually lands, right? And I think I think that's what you're speaking to in terms of that uh, that that potential gap. How so? So taking that concept and and saying that there 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 can be this gap, right? There can be my, I intend for you to hear message X, and what you really hear might be X minus Y or X plus something or you know something like that. How do organizations? How do the really good organizations get really good at focusing on building like building bridges to reduce that gap and to develop the in-house capability to develop the, and, and retain really good leaders who are focusing on that? How do those organizations that know that there's that problem, what are the steps that they start to take to, to develop that sustainability within their organization? Well, first, I think we need to start developing our leaders before they get promoted. Right. <laughs> right away. Yeah. And that is a that came through my research. And now that I'm, I have my own business and I work with different organizations, I see that it's a common thing. Some organizations do it very well. They start thinking about, they have a good succession pro management process in place in terms of how to identify, right, recruit and select formal leaders. And the ones that have that 
that system in place tend to have a good leadership development approach or program as well right. in place. Whereas other organizations, especially I think the smaller to medium-sized ones, it's a bit of a haphazard approach to identifying who the formal leaders could potentially be in an organization. And so yeah. sometimes, you know, they have a vacancy and they just got to fill it in with a, with a somebody who has a heartbeat. Most of the time, it's somebody they know and that they're comfortable with and that person gets a tap on the shoulder and they'll go in and then they just kind of have to flounder and figure it out on their own. But what I've seen consistently, and it's more common than not, is people get promoted into a formal leadership position, whether it's a part a temporary acting or permanent uh, formal leader position with no, no development prior to that. Right. And, and I think it's right. because there is a, a mindset, and this came out of my research too, interviewing my participants. There's a mindset that leaders are born. You either have it or you don't. I think I think I think that's really true, and I think that that the more maybe the more technical you are, like you you know you go to school and you get trained to do a very particular skill, um, and you know whether that's carpentry, whether that's dentistry, whatever, you become such a, a subject matter expert in a very narrow you, you know very deep but very narrow element, but then as you rise up the ranks, you're you're expected to to take on these other roles that. If you haven't been thoughtful, if the organization hasn't been thoughtful along the way, like those 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 skills don't just grow on trees. Like you don't just go, hey, like I need some leadership today. You have to really, you know, work towards it along the way. But you might not, in, unless you are invited to to or, or or unless there are opportunities to to practice it along the way. How do you go from being you know, the dentist, the, the guy who's working in your mouth all day to now all of a sudden having a job that doesn't involve looking at people's mouths all day. And how do you, you know, if, if you're not thoughtful about that, you can't just expect somebody overnight to be doing something that they haven't done for the last 30 years or whatever it is, right? Right, absolutely. And I see this too a lot in small companies where the CEO or the founder kind of did everything, but now they grow and they have to hire people and they don't know how to lead those people or the company right. that continues to grow and some of the people they hired now become managers and they don't know how to lead others. Yeah, your role fundamentally changes when you become a formal leader. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you don't do the same thing. And I use this expression all the time. You don't do the same thing and get paid more for it. It really changes. And the higher up you go, the less of your expertise matters. That's right. And so whether you're a lawyer or an engineer or a constable, like, you know, when you go up to like higher senior levels of management, your expertise no longer matters because you're not in that position to make the widgets anymore. You're there to empower the people that report to you to make the widgets. And even if you're a frontline supervisor, an operational supervisor, yeah, some of that subject matter expertise is still critical because a lot of the frontline staff want a supervisor who has that experience and expertise. Right. It, it gives right. you more credibility if you've right. been in the trenches, trenches. and you've done yep. it, you know? Yep. But yep. a frontline operator doesn't want their, you know, oh, they may appreciate the fact that the CEO has been in the trenches at some point, but at the end of the day, they don't want the CEO to jump into the trenches with them, telling them yeah. what to do. It's like, get exactly. out of here. You know, right. when, you, when people do that, it's like, you don't trust me and you're actually right. making it Take, it's taking me twice as long and it's twice as hard to get the job done because you keep interrupting me and telling me how to do it because it's the way you used to do it. Oh my God, right? And so um, I think if we start to enable people before they start, before they go into formal leadership role with, with the concepts of 
what does it mean to be a leader as an informal, as an individual contributor? Like, let's learn some of those, those skills through Like, let's do what emotional intelligence is. Now you right. can start developing your emotional intelligence as an engineer or as a lawyer, or like you said, a carpenter. Um, and then once you've, I self-identified that perhaps you want to become a formal leader, then we should invest and support you. And then figuring out how those leadership skills, like emotional intelligence, then apply to motivating others to leading right. others and then right. understanding the systems of the organization that you need to be aware of that you need to hold people accountable to right and those are the policies and the legislation right. Uh, right. safety management systems that are in place but that's not where a lot of people struggle they struggle in how do i motivate this person who i feel like is purposely trying to come into work and terrorize me and everybody else <laughs> you know you know, yeah. why does nobody like Tim? Why does everybody come to me and say that they don't want to work on the same shift as Tim? What am I supposed to do? I have no idea how to, how do I speak to Tim about this? You know, this is where they struggle and they hide themselves in, they hide themselves in their office and check their emails all day and write reports because they don't want to go out there and, and actually interact with human beings. And really that's your role as a leader is not to right. make the widgets, not to stay in your office all day and write reports, but it's to actually go out and get to know the people, whether it's virtually or in person, depending on your work environment. Yeah. To that point around, you know, like there's, there's those people who, who maybe are best suited to sitting in their office and answering their email all, all day or to, you know, to working on their very, their very particular craft and who, who may in fact resent the opportunity or, or not embrace the opportunity of leading other people because they might feel like it takes away from their, you know, their craft, right? Like I've heard, I've heard people say like, I, I went to school to perfect my craft and that's what I want to do all day. And so does that then mean that there's no leadership opportunity for that person or, or how do we develop it in, in those people? Right. So I would give, uh, you know, I would congratulate those people and recognize the fact that they really have a clear understanding of what they want. Yeah. out of their career, yeah. what's important for them to achieve, because not everybody wants to be a manager. And I actually know some people are frontline supervisors that don't want to go further up in the organization as well. Like they, they really are happy with where they're at and they want to get uh, like that depth of knowledge versus the breadth, which breadth, you right. get more of right when you become a formal manager. But yeah, you can still develop somebody's leadership skills. So when you look at so my business, and when I talk about leadership, it's all built on the concept of emotional intelligence, which I discovered through my own research and aligns with other research too around emotional intelligence. But through my research, I distilled it down to those four domains, the more common ones that we know of, self-awareness, self-management, right? So the first domains talk about or yep. uh, are about you and knowing what your emotions are, uh, the triggers you have, how to regulate those emotions, understanding uh, being really self-aware of what your strengths right. are, right. gaps, opportunities of growth, what your unconscious bias is, you know? So that's, it's all about your emotions and regulating those emotions. The last two domains are about others. So how you, how your behaviors, your emotions impact and influence others. So there's social awareness, which is like self-awareness, but in a social context. So I have right. self-awareness, you know, I have awareness of thyself, but I also have awareness of the social environment that I live, function and work within. Um, I understand, yep. you know, our policies, the vision of the company. Uh, I also understand other people, um, their emotions and are in tuned into that and have conversations that are entrenched in compassion and empathy. And then the last one's all about relationship building. And so if I can display compassion, empathy through my social awareness, 
people will probably feel more comfortable and safe with me. And then we can start to develop more trusting relationships with other people. But relationship management is also about wanting to, you know, also not just invest in your own development, but want to support other people in, in, in developing their skills too. And I think if you're an individual contributor working in an organization, you have to understand you don't work on an island. What you do influences the system. And you know what? You probably need help to get done what you need to get done. You need information from other people. You probably need to tap on somebody's shoulder to say, can you support me on this one project, right? You need to work with other people. And so you can develop your leadership skills at an individual contributor level because you still have to have self-awareness. You still have to be able to regulate your emotions and you still have to be able to work well with other people and support other people. So you may see one of your colleagues struggling. What do you do? Do you say, not my problem? <laughs> or do you, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. how does this help the organization achieve its goals and its outcomes if you are unwilling to work with other people? And so yeah. we can we can develop those abilities in individuals too, even the ones that are very kind of like, I love what I do. I want to be an expert in what I do, but you still have to work with other people and you're in a position to help other people. And so you should do that as well. I think there's lots of, uh, you know, you've, you've made some really good examples, but I think there's other ways too that individual contributors who are very strong individual contributors in whatever in whatever their, their chosen field is, there might be opportunities for them, you know, for example, to present at a, at a conference about what the company has done and, and they would have, they would bring so much credibility because of their really deep knowledge about, you know, a particular a particular subject matter. And so I think, I think it's about being creative and matching the opportunity with not only the personality type but their ambition and so them being self-aware and knowing yeah like you know this i don't want to manage a team of 25 people but i'm happy to mentor the younger people who are just coming in for example and teach them my skill teach them my craft and then they can combine that with whatever skills that they might have and they might have different career ambitions but but i think it's a real miss that organizations um, might fall into into a trap of of missing where if somebody says, look, I'm the guy that wants to be locked in my office and like, I don't know, research like something obscure or I'm the expert on whatever, that the companies say, well, fine, we don't need to develop your leadership potential then, or we don't need to, to develop that because you've self-identified that you don't want to be on this track of, of whatever. Whereas I think I think what, what I'm hearing you say is that there's there's leaders in all of us and the organizations that do do it really well, find ways to maximize the leadership potential, whatever that means, for even for individual contributors. Absolutely. I think some of it is changing our mindset around the definition of what a leader is, number one. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're and, right. And then and then also like, you know, sometimes unless you give the person an opportunity to talk about what they really want. Sometimes we make assumptions about what people want. And if yeah. somebody says, I don't want to become a formal leader, they still deserve opportunities of professional development and growth. And like you talked about stretch assignments could be one way to do that. Right. And so I think those, so one is understanding what leadership is, defining it, educating everyone, regardless of their position, what it is. And they all have the ability to, to display those and develop those competencies, but then also seeking, like looking at the system around how you can present opportunities for people to flex those leadership muscles and practice. So like you said, uh, stretch, assignments, uh, maybe mentoring somebody who's an individual contributor to who, like through the onboarding process, maybe somebody just got hired and then they can support that individual, right? Like you said, presenting and sharing their expertise with others. 
So yeah, so under identifying those opportunities is critical because once you've educated people what leadership is on on what leadership is, they need to then go ahead and practice it. Well, I, I agree. I mean, I think I think you need to educate them, but I think you also need to like maybe shift their mindset into what's what's possible for them. So they need to do some self reflection about that. But the organization also needs to perhaps, or depending on the organization, needs to shift its mindset about the journey of leadership. And so to your earlier comment about how you don't just wake up one day and be like, oh, okay, I'm the leader. So, so here we go. Right. Like you need to be, you need to be thinking along people's careers. What are the leadership steps? What are the building blocks that they need? Because you're not going to, you know, like there's kind of like beginner, middle and advanced. Right. And so what, what are the things, what are the building blocks at the beginner level that will set you up? To, to be successful there and to give you the best chance if that's the path that you you know that you choose to go down and so I think it's interesting because not only like there's lots of you know public press about about self-awareness and individuals and self-actualization and all of those things which is fine but when you put that in the context of an organization there's equally the organization has a pulse the organization has its culture and and it needs to align or it needs to have a position about what it thinks about the leadership journey so that the individual people can be successful within that system. And I think that's what, what you're really bringing forward is, is, is how you, how you manage those, those, the system and then the individual so that they can both be successful. I want to uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about the company that you started. So you, you started it, uh, you know, in, in a, in a challenging year. Um, but tell me specifically about, we, we talk, talked about this earlier. Tell me specifically about the cool story around the name of the company that you came up with. Yeah, absolutely. So when I started my business, uh, when I was in the early stages of development, I was thinking, what do I call this business? And when I looked at other leadership consultants who are, you know, women, men, uh, they used their name. I'm like, oh, I don't know yeah. if I want it to be Pagonis Consulting because I didn't want it to be, I had a vision for my business and I wanted it to be more than just me. I wanted to design right. and offer a suite of products and services to really help organizations develop systems of leadership and leadership development throughout. And so yep. it was more than just me offering coaching or the occasional workshop here and there. Like I, I really wanted to be like a full service, you know, consulting firm. And I thought, well, it can be Pagonis Consulting then, but I need to come up with another name. Although I do still want a part of me to exist in the business because, you know, I'm the founder of it. Right. As I was thinking, I remember early back when, when like, you know, I, I got my first Hotmail account and I had to come up with a name. I, 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 I thought of, well, what do I do? What I come up with? And I thought my name and I'll just spell it backwards. And for some reason, Synogab uh, with one N was taken who thought, <laughs> no, like who came up with that? But in any case, so I did Central Gap with two ends. Anyways, you fast forward like 15 plus years later and now I'm thinking about my business name and I'm like, well, you know, if the part of me still exists in it and I thought, well, what if I just do the Sino Gap again, but with one end, right? Right. And, and then I, I kept thinking about it and I'm like, well, it's almost like a play on words, Sino Gaps, because I help organizations yeah. identify their strengths, leverage those to then fill the gaps that yep. exist. And then my husband said this to me, he goes, and you know what else actually? And I think he, he came up with it as I was doing my company video. So I came up with the name, registered it, and we're doing my company video. And he was asking me to share a little bit more about um, the name of my business. And he, he stopped recording. He goes, you know what? He goes, you, you always talk about 
looking at the workplace environment in a different way. You know, we see the workplace environment as a place where you go and work, but I yeah. see it as a rich learning environment where we can reach, even if not surpass our full capacity, our, our potential with the right leadership in place, with the right culture, with the right supports. Like we, we should start to look at the workplace environment as something different, not just the place where we work, but where we learn, where we build bonds, trusting relationships with other people. And he said, that's kind of like your name. You see your last name every day, yeah. right? Like you see the yeah. workplace as something yeah. like every day, right? But when you take a step back and you look at it a bit differently, it creates all these new opportunities and possibilities. He kind of, and he said, like, kind of like what you do with your last name, you flipped it, you, you know, like yep. what's it called? An anagram. Is that what it is? Right. When you spell a word backwards or change up yep. the letters. Right. And you see something different. I'm like, Oh my God, that's right. So he said, kind of like your philosophy on how to view the workplace is kind of what you did when you came, when you came up with your company name, you just switched the, the, the order of the letters and you saw something new that you could utilize to support the, your business, right? I was like, oh, I love that. So I that's the story of how I came up with the name of the business. Or should yeah, I, I love yeah. Or my I husband love, did in some ways. <laughs> yeah, he, he can get a little credit in the story. That's okay. That's okay. I love I love the the idea that you know something very familiar to you, like you know, everybody's name is the most familiar thing to you. And and if you just look at it a little bit differently, you can see all kinds of different possibilities. And I think that's I mean, yeah, that's great for organizations, but that's like what a great life lesson too, right? Like I mean that comes up all the time is we I think people get, you know, you you spoke about people's bias and sort of what you bring to the table in the first place. We all bring uh, things that are familiar to us and, and we get stuck sort of in patterns. And I think it's a, a really refreshing uh, reminder to take a different view and to, to to see what is possible when you adopt a slightly different perspective, whether that's somebody else that you're negotiating with or whether that's an organization about leadership potential and development, uh, to think about it a little bit differently and then see where, where it gets you to. And you're not too far outside of your comfort zone because it's still, you know, the foundation is still something that you're you're very familiar with. So I think it's a very cool, uh, I think it's a very cool story. So talking about Cinegap, can you tell us a little bit about what's what's on the docket for uh, Cinegap coming up and either, you know, some initiatives or projects that you're uh, proud to be part of? What's, uh, what's coming up for Cinegap? Yeah, thank you for asking that. So... I recently launched my fall campaign, Choose to Be a Leader Others Want to Follow, which is based on the title of my book, too. And it came from my PhD research. And so I launched this campaign uh, to offer and to showcase the products and services that we offer to really support uh, formal leaders. And one of the products or services that I'm offering now that I'm really excited about, it's actually been a passion project of mine. When I started my business, I actually started to design this program. And then I kind of sat on it and, and did nothing with it out of fear and security. And it was, it was actually, it's a leadership program for emerging women leaders. And it's called Woman Up, Ignite the Leader in You. And one yeah. of the reasons why I created the program is because I saw a gap, not only just in, in regards to like how organizations um, develop their leaders, because as, as I mentioned, most of the time they don't, it's just kind of like you, you get promoted and through trial and error, you figure it out. But yeah. I saw unique challenges for women with male dominated organizations, even in the recruitment selection uh, of people going into formal leadership positions. There were some, we, we experienced more challenges than our male counterparts do. And then when we do get into these formal leadership positions, we don't have access to, to the same resources and networks and mentors right. as our male right. counterparts do. And we tend to struggle a little bit more. And so I thought, you know, there's not a lot of 
leadership programs for emerging women leaders. There's more and more out there for women in senior executive positions. But I'm like, what do we do? You know, before we even get there and McKinsey just came out with a new report with the, I think they're called the lean in organization. And what they discovered was through the pandemic, believe it or not, women have made strides in getting into senior leadership positions over 2020. Yeah. Yeah. But there are still barriers to getting into entry level supervisory positions. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So there's still that gap. So I was like, even more reason for me to launch my program. This is definitely an area of need for women. And so as I developed and I designed, and it's all about womaning up and developing confidence through understanding what emotional intelligence is and giving participants the opportunity to practice that, I I realized that I wasn't womaning up myself because I wasn't willing to launch the program out of fear that no one would want to sign up for it. Right. (laughs) And then it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. So my summer student, she's like, why are you not launching this program? It's designed. And she helped me and develop the confidence to, to finally do it. And my stepson too, had a conversation with him and he, he said, you have to woman up. And I'm like, you're, you're right. And so I finally launched it. And what I love about this program is not just the content, but the, the way it's been designed. So it's a multi-week program that's blended with self-paced online learning uh, workshops, live virtual workshops, and peer coaching circles to give the women in the program plenty of opportunity to not only learn something new, new content, but also through active experimentation, they get to apply what they've learned and then come back to the learning environment to talk about how it went, what didn't work, what did work. Right. And so great. It's a lot of, we tend to learn or a lot of leadership programs out there speak at you and tell you what you need to do to be a leader. And then they they hope that you figure out how to do it. Well, I want to support the women in the program in actually doing it in a way that, you know, they, they feel safe to try something new, but then they can come back to the community that we've established through the program of women who've enrolled to talk about in a safe place, what worked and what didn't. And and that's the way that the program's been designed. And the reason why I decided to embed the self-paced online learning is because we're another thing that came out of the pandemic is that women are doing a lot more and they're burning out more. Yeah, Yeah, they're burning out more. The childcare duties, we usually have a disproportionate um, domestic duties more than our our male um, partners may have, right? And so we're just a little burnt out. So I wanted to make sure it was very flexible. So if somebody, you know, they don't have to feel pressure to attend a workshop every week. Sometimes they'll have two weeks to just complete an online module. And then through the workshop and the coaching circles, we get to then dive into the concepts that they've learned and talk about how they will apply them. That sounds, that sounds great. It sounds like there's a real need. Um, and I, I love how it, it's, it's creating a safe space. It's creating some accountability uh, and the opportunity to really put in, into practice what you've learned um, in, a, in a non-threatening, non-threatening manner. So that's, uh, that's great. Where can our listeners find out about that specifically and more about you know, your, your company and the services that you provide? Well, we have a website, so synogapsolutions.com. You can go there and uh, on the uh, menu, you'll see courses. You can click on that and then you'll see the course tile for the Woman Up program and you can click on that and all the information's there. You can download a brochure too. But even on my contact page, they can contact me directly if they have questions about it. But there's also a webinar too that's being offered that on November 10th. And, and I don't know uh, if they 
If you've missed the webinar, depending on when this episode airs, that's okay. You can just contact me directly. So I have like a booking link. You can set up a Zoom chat or you can give me a call and, and we can talk about your interest in the program if you want more information before you enroll in it. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking time today to, to share this. This has been a very insightful conversation and I think uh, paints a really hopeful picture for organizations to be able to put some processes and structures in place to help develop their leaders over time. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a great conversation. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe to follow and get notified when we have an update.